For 16 years, he seemed like a caring nurse. However, time would reveal that he had a taste for murder. This is the case of Charles Cullum. Trigger warning, animal abuse, DV, medical jargon, murder, and aliving of oneself. Welcome back, Fellowship Detectives, for the final episode of our Angels of Death month. So far, we've covered three murderous healthcare professionals in the UK, but today, we are going to venture across the Atlantic to New Jersey and Pennsylvania as we delve into the case of Charles Cullen. So, you're going to need your passports, grab your detective hats, and let's dive right in with the background. Over to Turtle. Cullen was born on February 22nd, 1960. He was the youngest of eight siblings. His father was a bus driver, Edmund Cullen, and his mother, Florence, was a homemaker. We can't discuss this case without looking into Cullen's tumultuous childhood. It is said that his childhood was miserable, with his first attempt on his own life being at nine years old. He was horrendously bullied throughout school, which simply added to his misery. Throughout his youth, he lost several family members, one of which was his father who passed away when he was an infant. He would later lose his mother in a car accident while he was in high school. Two of his siblings also passed away not long after. For many years, Cullen cared for his brother, who unfortunately lost his battle with cancer. He dropped out of high school and enrolled in the Navy, where he rose to the ranks of petty officer. Despite this, it said he didn't get on well with his fellow crewmen. It was a year into the job when he was discovered by his leading officer to be wearing a surgical mask and a gown rather than his traditional uniform. Following this, he was reassigned to a lower-ranking job and made yet another attempt on his life. It was then that he was sent to the Navy Psychiatric Ward. For the next few years, he was committed to the Psychiatric Ward on multiple occasions, and in 1984, he was medically discharged from the Navy for undisclosed reasons. After leaving the Navy, he began attending Mountainside Hospital School of Nursing in Montclair. He would go on to graduate in 1987, get married and have two daughters. Six years later, in January of 1993, Cullen's wife, Adrian Torb, filed for a divorce. She also went on to contact the police and inform them that she was terrified of her husband. When talking with police, she revealed that Cullen had previously spiked people's drinks with lighter fluid and had even gone as far as to call a local funeral home to inquire about their rape. Due to him having access to drugs at the hospital where he worked as a nurse, this caused her fear. She feared for her welfare and that of her two daughters. Further to the DV complaint filed by by Adrienne, she detailed a series of incidents that had occurred in the couple's home. She described Cullen stuffing their pet ferret into a trash can, accused him of extreme cruelty to their dogs, even citing one incident in which he zipped a dog into a bowling bag. She accused him of burning one of his daughter's books in the fireplace and even dropped his daughters off with a babysitter where he left them for a week. She claimed that she was forced to get rid of the family's pets because she thought Cullen would kill them. 
Adrienne did say that before these peculiar incidents, Cullen hadn't ever acted in this manner. She attempted to get a restraining order against her husband, but the judge denied the request, stating that he was guilty of, quote, only odd behavior, not threatening violence. To which I'm going to question this, odd behavior? I'm sorry, he had demonstrated neglectful behavior and violence towards animals in another way of, which is just another way of threatening violence. Anyway, following his divorce, his life spiraled out of control, turning to drink in order to cope and desperately fighting for custody of his daughters, but he got nowhere. He attempted to unalive himself multiple times, with the first attempt occurring just days after his wife made the DV complaints. With mounting financial problems to add to his battles and his mental health on the decline, just two months after Adrian filed for the divorce, he broke into the home of a nurse called Michelle Tomlinson. This would give Adrienne the ammunition she needed and she would be granted a restraining order against Cullen. Cullen had several jobs in various hospitals and nursing homes. Some jobs he quit after being the subject of investigations due to allegations of misconduct with one occasion being due to an elderly woman who had complained that he kept coming into her room and giving her injections despite not being the nurse assigned to her. He was fired from another hospital for hiding heart medications in a bin with the purpose of disposing needles. He bounced between different medical centres in New Jersey and even worked in Pennsylvania for a while after obtaining a licence to practice there. Between 1998 and 2002, he did some agency work and had some full-time jobs. It's that time again where we give you last week's true crime quiz question answer. Let's find out if you got it right. As a recap, last week's question was, police interviewed the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, nine times before his arrest following a routine traffic stop, which led to him being charged with murder. In which year? A. 1975, B. 1981, or C. 1984? The answer was B. 1981. So if you've got it right, it's time to run yourself that nice hot relaxing bath, dim the lights and have a bit of TLC. You deserve it. And drop us a like so we know you got the answer right. I didn't get the answer right. When did you? No relaxing bath at TLT for me. Not this week, Turtle. Sorry, I got. Uh, I thought it was 1984. Don't forget to stay tuned in this episode to find out this week's true crime quiz question. And hit that subscribe button and the little bell icon so you never miss an episode either. Now, back to the case with the crime. Back to you, Turtle. The first murders that Cullen would later confess to occurred at St Barnabas. On the 11th of June 1988, he administered a lethal overdose to a patient intravenously. He would later confess to having killed several other patients at St Barnabas. This included an AIDS patient who lost his life after Cullen administered an overdose of insulin to the patient. It would later be determined that Cullen was most likely responsible for dozens of patient deaths at the hospital following an investigation into contaminated IV bags, which was underway when Cullen left. 
Following his divorce in 1993, three of Cullen's patients would die at Warren Hospital, Phillipsburg, New Jersey, from fatal overdoses of a drug called deoxygen. Dejoxin? Dejoxin. There we go. Normally I'm so good with drug names. They would be Lucy McGavro, Mary Natoli, and Helen Dean. Before Helen Dean lost her life, she told her family members that a male nurse had injected her with a needle, but the pathologist would say that she died of cancer, so a proper investigation wasn't launched. Following this, Cullen resigned from the hospital. Cullen moved to Hunterdon Medical Center in Flemington, New Jersey. He would work the night shifts most often. He worked there for three years and claimed that he did not harm anyone during the first two years at Hunterdon. Unfortunately, the hospital records for that period had been destroyed at the time of his arrest in 2003. Cullen did, however, admit to murdering five patients between January and September 1996 with overdoses of digoxin, Joxin. Dijoxin. That's how I've just pronounced it, so we'll go, we'll go with Dijoxin, and if we're wrong, we're wrong. Yeah, I can't pronounce anything tonight, as it is. February 1998, Cullen was hired by the Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Centre in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where he staffed a ward of respiratory dependent patients. Before he was fired, he caused a patient's death, but it was blamed on another nurse. He then was employed at Eastern Hospital from November 1998 until March 1999. It was on the fateful night of December 30th, 1998, he murdered yet another patient. A coroner's blood test showed lethal amounts of digoxin in the patient's blood, but an internal investigation was inconclusive. Cullen took a job at the burn unit of Allentown's Lehigh Valley Hospital, Cedar Crest. It was here where he murdered one patient and attempted to murder another. A month later, he voluntarily resigned and took a job working in the cardiac care unit at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Over the three years working there, Cullen murdered at least five patients and it's known that he attempted to kill two more. Cullen would bounce between jobs at various different hospitals either due to being fired or having resigned and due to the flawed system that prevented hospitals from sharing information, no one suspected a thing. Cullen went on to make another attempt to unalive himself on multiple occasions, with one attempt being in 2000, when he took a hibachi filled with charcoal into the bathtub with him in the hopes that the carbon monoxide inhalation would end his life. However, a woman who lived in the apartment above smelled smoke and contacted the police. His weapon of choice for his crimes was generally the drug that we are struggling to pronounce this evening, digoxin. This is a drug that is routinely used to treat people with an irregular heartbeat or heart failure. Like with all drugs, it is lethal in large doses. It's a cardiac glycoside that increases the force of myocardial contraction and reduces conductivity within the atrioventricular node, which is known as an AV node for short. 
Cullen had another weapon that he would sometimes utilize. He would inject patients saline bags with lethal doses of insulin and other drugs. Uh, do you want to just quickly put uh, what that drugs does in layman's terms? Because um, some people might struggle to understand that. So it's your SA node. So your SA node is higher up in the heart and your AV node is low down. So your SA node would um, will send electrical signals to your AV node when, and then it will pass down from the AV node down the heart to through the bundle of Hiss. So you've got the right bundle, the left bundle, which go into your ventricles. So what it's doing is it's reducing the amount of signals that are going from the SA node to the AV node. So then the AV node is not getting so many signals and it increases the force. So you've got more force in the contraction. Okay. That's pretty much it. I'll see if I can, in the video version, put a image of a heart okay. for the SA node, the AV node. Back to the case, the murders would go on for 16 years until 2003. It was while he was working at Somerset Medical Centre in Somerville, New Jersey, that everything began to unravel. Lorraine Gall, a reverend, was being treated in the hospital and was showing signs of improvement when suddenly Gall had a massive heart attack and died. It was later determined that Gall had been administered an unauthorised lethal dose of digoxin. In the year leading up to his arrest, Cullen would kill 13 patients and would later become known as the Angel of Death, much like Beverly Allett. The investigation. It came to light that many of the hospitals had in fact suspected Cullen for the deaths of many patients. In January 1992, Cullen left St. Barnabas Hospital as an internal investigation on a number of IV bags commenced. He has since confessed to having killed one patient while working there. In 1998, while working at Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Centre in Allentown, Pennsylvania, he was accused of giving patients drugs at the wrong times. He was fired after being witnessed entering a patient's room with syringes in hand. This left the patient with a broken arm. Then, in 1999, he started working at St. Luke's Hospital in Pennsylvania. He resigned from the job after medication vials were found in the disposal bin instead of aiding in the hospital's inquiry. In the book, The Good Nurse, A True Story of Medicine, Madness and Murder, Charles Graeber wrote that one nurse at Sacred Heart Hospital, Allentown, had heard rumours of Cullen's crimes and shared, that, and shared them with her colleagues in 2001. All of the staff threatened to quit if Cullen was not immediately dismissed, and so he was fired. However, the investigations didn't ignite until detectives Tim Braun and Danny Baldwin recruited Lauren in 2003. They did this to aid them in gaining access to the evidence that could lead to Cullen's arrest. You see, fellow detectives, 
There was a sudden rise of suspicious deaths at Somerset Medical Centre in 2003, which led to investigators suspecting Cullen and Lauren was possibly Cullen's only friend. The two detectives were approached after the Somerset Medical Centre had contacted the County Prosecutor's Office concerning several unexplained deaths. The pair lead detectives came to learn that the hospital administrators had long suspected that a staff member was responsible for the deaths because all of the victims had been killed by lethal injections of prescription medications. But an internal investigation had failed to identify the culprit. Detective Sergeant Braun and Detective Daniel Baldwin started to suspect that the then 43-year-old registered nurse, Charles Cullen, seeing as he had worked in different medical facilities throughout New Jersey and Pennsylvania, but never stayed at one for any significant length of time. The case grew as the detectives uncovered that at each facility, an inordinate number of unexplained deaths had been reported. To add to it all, 67% of the deaths had occurred in the critical care units during the night shift when Cullen was on duty. The two detectives then went on to investigate the hospital's automated medication system, which confirmed that Cullen had been removing unauthorised medications at an alarming rate. One of the medications that he would remove was the digoxin, which just so happened to be the same drug which killed... Digoxin? What? It's digoxin. Oh, you are piss-taking. It's just suddenly clicked in my head, digoxin. I've been saying digoxin this entire pissing episode. <laughs> so have I. Do you know what, sorry, I'm, I've, made, I've made a commitment, I'm sticking to it. It's going to be digoxin and I will get stewed on it later. <laughs> One of the medications he would remove was the digoxin, which just so happened to be the same drug which had killed at least one victim at the hospital. On to Amy Lauren. Is it Lauren? Lauren. I don't know. I'm going to say Lauren. I've been saying Lauren. This is what happens when you don't have a dyslexic friendly last name. It gets mispronounced. <laughs> On to Amy Lauren. She had developed a friendship with Cullen while he worked at Somerset Medical Centre. She had grown suspicious of her colleagues' actions when she looked over Charles's charts. They were full of errors. The charts contained misspelled and misreported observations. Not only this, but the system through which Amy accessed Charles's records revealed unusual surfing behaviours on his part as he spent a lot of time looking at the records of patients who were under the care of other nurses. One piece of evidence was glaring though. Amy discovered the unusual combination of drugs that Cullen ordered occasionally. The list of drugs observed by Amy included medications that would be administered to patients in the cardiac unit, which was an unusual occurrence given that Cullen worked in the intensive care unit also known as the ICU. Eventually she would confront Cullen regarding the alleged killings and he would go on to claim to have ended the lives of 15 victims at the hospital where the two worked together. At this point we're going to go for our true crime quiz question and it's that time again. It's the time for this week's true crime quiz question. So gather round detectives, grab your magnifying glass and let's see if you know the answer to the following question. Fred and Rose West's garden at 25 Cromwell Street, Gloucester, 
yielded its first grim discovery just a day after the couple's arrest in February 1994. But whose remains were found buried? And for a bonus point, how was the victim known to the killer couple? If you think you know the answer, comment it in the comments section if you're listening on YouTube and TikTok, or go to our other social medias to let us know the answer. And don't forget to like and subscribe and stay tuned for next week's episode when we will reveal the answer. Now back to the case where we are going to discuss Amy Lauren. Amy worked with Charles Cullen at Somerset Hospital. She had two daughters and suffered from cardiomyopathy, which is a heart disease that makes it difficult for the heart to pump blood to the rest of the body. Amy found it hard to manage the work stress, but she had to work intensive shifts, which affected her health. One day, Charles found Amy gasping for breath and promised to help until she got her health insurance. This was the start of their friendship blossoming. Later, in order to aid him in keeping his promise, Cullen aided Amy by stealing medicines from the med station using a hack. The fact that Charles knew how to hack the med station would later prove to be pivotal in Amy's investigation as she knew it was possible to withdraw medications without leaving a solid trace. They became close friends and Cullen was a confidant for Amy. She confided in him and adored him before discovering his true self. Amy now lives in Florida with her children and grandchildren and is now pursuing a career as a Reiki master and meditation instructor. She also did get a heart transplant. Over to Turtle for the arrest and trial. On the 12th of December 2003, Cullen was arrested in a restaurant and charged with one murder and one case of attempted murder. Cullen confessed to the crimes he was charged with two days after his arrest. He went on to confess to detectives that he had murdered around 40 people throughout his career. However, not all of them could be verified. He confessed to having used a variety of medications to fatally overdose his patients. These included digoxin, insulin, dobutamine, nitroprusside, norepiriferin, and pavulum. Was that right, norepiriferin? I'm just as terrible at you at pronouncing things, especially tonight. Norepiriferin. Oh well, I've committed, so we'll go with it. He would go on to tell investigators that some of his victims survived the initial overdose and that this would lead Cullen to to try repeatedly and even change the lethal medications to finish the job. Cullen even admitted to having roamed the units to find potential victims. He would scan medical charts to find patients who were in for multiple organ failure or those who had DNR, meaning do not resuscitate order. As part of a plea deal, he pled guilty to 22 murders and three attempted murders so that he could escape the death penalty and up to present, 29 of his victims have been confirmed. Three years following his arrest, Cullen was sentenced to 12 life sentences and would not be eligible for for parole until 2403, to which I'm sure he will will be skeletal remains in a box in the ground. While in court, Cullen refused to look at the families of the victims. Instead, he would often pretend to be asleep at the defendant's table. The son of one of his victims is reported as saying, quote, you don't even have the guts to look this way, do you? That's a shame. 
During the sentencing, Cullen caused that much disruption to the proceedings that the judge slapped him with an additional six life sentences, making it a total of 18 life sentences. He has now been imprisoned in New Jersey State Prison since his sentencing and he remains there even now. Only 29 murders could be confirmed and Cullen claimed that he had killed up to 40 people during his nursing career. It is believed that the number could be much higher, with some estimating it could be closer to the 400 mark. Motives So, why did Cullen end the lives of so many of his patients? Well, during his trial, Cullen stayed quiet about the murders he had committed. It wasn't until 2013, 10 years after his arrest, that he finally gave a bit of insight into his motive. He told CBS News that he thought he was helping people when he was murdering them. He's quoted as saying, I thought that people aren't suffering anymore. So, in a sense, I thought I was helping. It was during the same interview that he admitted that he wasn't sure if he would have ever stopped killing had he not been caught. His rationalisation that he was simply ending the suffering and preventing the dehumanisation of his victims has since gone into scrutiny. Dr. Michael Wellner, a psychiatric teacher at New York University Center, said, quote, Mercy killing is a common defense, but that is a rationalization a person employs to convince themselves that what they're doing is the right thing, end quote. The issue with his rationalization is that not all of Killen's victims were terminally ill. One of his victims was only 21 and had been admitted to the hospital for a routine spleen surgery. The daughter of one of his victims stated after Cullen was sentenced, quote, He was supposedly some sort of angel of mercy, ending people's suffering, while he should look around the courtroom. Aftermath. It's important to note that Cullen has never apologised or made excuses for his actions, and he's never faced the families of his victims. However, he has since donated one of his kidneys. In 2006, he was approved to donate one of his kidneys, However, the judge's order stipulated that all co operation costs had to be paid by the recipient's insurer. The surgery to remove Cullen's kidney had to happen in New Jersey at a hospital certified by the State Department of Corrections, and the doctors who performed the operation had to be certified by the State Board of Medical Examiners. Cullen, who was 46 at the time, had been trying for four months to reach an agreement with prosecutors in New Jersey and Pennsylvania to win permission for the donation. His lawyer at the time, Johnny Mask, stated to the New York Times that the requirements had made Cullen suspicious that someone in the Department of Corrections or at the Attorney General's office didn't want it to happen. A New Jersey Attorney General's office spokesperson said that the requirements reflected the fact that they are for a serial killer who is not free to travel willy-nilly. Since Cullen's crimes were revealed, there has been a lot of media coverage, with the most notable being the Netflix film The Good Nurse, which, dram which dramatised the events. With the film aired, Amy Lawrence spoke to Sky News. She said that she was proud to see the film come together However, it did act as a trigger for so much of the time that she spent with Cullum. Amy's quote is having said, quote, I was pretty terrified every day that I held that together. The things that they don't show in the film was that I was actually much more sick. 
and I was truly terrified of leaving my two girls behind. Watching Jessica play me, I allowed myself to feel proud of myself. My guilt about missing my friendship because he's a monster. It was triggering to watch Charlie, played by Redmayne, because Eddie truly embodies who my friend Charlie was. The way that he moves, the way that he speaks, the interactions that we have are so real. That part of it was extremely triggering, allowing myself to understand that I missed him for a while and my guilt about actually missing my friendship because he's a monster. But I didn't know the murderer. I only met the murderer a couple of times and he played this part of my friend. I missed that friendship, so it was very triggering. And then it was like, let's get him, end quote. Cullen's mental health. An official psychology, an official psychological diagnostic was never given to Cullen. Some believe that his actions, thoughts and behaviours point to antisocial personality disorder, schizophrenia and major depressive disorder. Cullen is an exemplary example uh, for a person experiencing antisocial personality disorder. He is said to possess superficial charm, a grandiose sense of self-worth, be a pathological liar, lack remorse and above all else believes that it is the hospital administrators and orders fault for not stopping him or reporting him. Since this is your area of expertise, off you go turtle. According to the NHS website, antisocial personality disorder is a particularly challenging type of personality disorder. It is characterised by being impulsive, irresponsible and often criminal behaviour. Someone with this particular personality disorder will typically be manipulative, deceitful and reckless and they will not care for the feelings of others. Just as with other types of personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder is on a spectrum which means it can range in severity from occasional bad behaviour to repeatedly breaking the law and committing serious crimes. Psychopaths are considered to have a severe form of antisocial personality disorder. However, another possible causation factor is the tumultuous childhood. It's a common theme among killers that they have traumatic upbringings. This could be something as simple as being abandoned by both parents, as in the case of Jeffrey Dahmer. Or it could be something seemingly more benign, like an emotionally unavailable parent, such as the case with Dennis Nielsen. In Cullen's case, however, it's bound to be the traumatic case of the repeated losses throughout his early childhood and his own attempts against his own life. It's such a common occurrence that many, psycholo- that many in psychology consider it to be a big risk factor in whether a person is likely to commit a crime, but especially if they are likely to have the capacity to take a life. The other thing as well is that he was horrendously bullied yeah. in his youth. Yeah, that, that that goes into it. There's um, there's an entire subsection of health psychology that considers your environmental factors as a whole. If you're bullied at school, if you're in a low socioeconomic background, what your upbringing was like, if it how consistent it was, what your diet's like, all of that, and makes it more likely to determine what behaviours and stuff you'll listen to. Um, and then criminology has kind of gone into it and used That's that template to apply to serial killers and general killers and just find out what um, 
common factors they have. Um, so some of the ones they've got is uh, they tend to be horrific towards animals. Um, they tend to have at least a chaotic childhood. Um, they uh, they tend to be isolated and not have many peers, um, which more makes it, it makes it means that more of their stuff is less likely to be called to account. So um, I think one with um, Jeffrey Dahmer was he didn't have anyone to tell him that he the liquidizing of the animals that he was doing with his dad yeah that was actually a bit weird um, that's really so when people would come over and he'd start talking about that they'd reject him but he wouldn't know why they were rejecting him because he wouldn't have that sort of social norm um so yeah there's, it's just stuff like that it's, it's this basic template they've gone through everyone it's not a cut dry type thing there are there are cases where they don't have a troubled background there are cases where they've got high socioeconomic status and all of that but um yeah it's it's, it's pretty it's pretty close on a number of cases i'm gonna have to look into this at some point so to conclude this chapter of the shit detectives angels of death month we are going to discuss human factors in healthcare because tragedies do happen and it doesn't always mean that sinister motives are at play. So what are human factors in healthcare? Delivering healthcare can place individuals, teams and organisations under a lot of pressure. Staff have to make very difficult decisions in dynamic, often unpredictable circumstances. In these intense situations, decision making can be compromised and this can impact on the quality of care, clinical outcomes, and even potentially cause harm to the patient. Poor performance can also increase costs. Human factors is often referred to as ergonomics and is an established scientific discipline used in a variety of safety critical industries. Human factors approaches underpin current patient safety and quality improvement science. Offering an integrated, evidenced and coherent approach to patient safety, quality improvement and clinical excellence. The principles and practices focus on optimising human performance through better understanding of the behaviour of individuals, their interactions with each other and with their environment. Thus, by acknowledging human limitations, Human Factors provides a way to minimise and mitigate human fatalities and thus reduce medical error and its consequences. Human Factors principles can be applied in the identification, assessment and management of patient safety risks and in the analysis of incidents to identify learning and corrective actions. Our thoughts and opinions. So, I think that Charles has a hero complex fed by narcissistic personality traits and potentially some sort of PTSD. I believe that to feel safe, he needed to feel needed. He needed to feel like he was necessary. He needed to feel required. Take what he did for Amy. She relied on him. She would have protected him in workplace conflicts. If they were considering laying some people off she would have been someone on side someone to say please not him and to protect him 
It could be that he wanted someone on the inside, someone who could look into it without raising suspicion, to keep an ear out for any flags and alarms being sounded so he could jump ship. But I truly believe that he has a need to feel needed. I do think that he was rational, that what he says about them being mercy killings, he believes to be true. Even though it is a rationalisation um, that is occurring, he truly believed he was helping those patients. Even in terms of the spleen patient, I think he rationalised it to himself as complications and this poor girl who's going to have issues with her spleen and all the things that come along with that. Uh, and I think that this is all furtherly backed up by the fact of the extremes that he went to to donate the organ that he did. This is a man who needs psychological support, but deep down, I think that he was actually mentally sound when he was making the decisions to take someone's life. They were too calculated, too thought through, too processed. He, this went on for years. He was really good at covering his tracks in the sense of protecting himself, which makes me think that he was he knew what he was doing. Ultimately though, my thoughts go to the families who have lost people to Cullen. Knowing that he was potentially sane at the time as well, I can't imagine how horrific it is for you. I'm going to start this just by briefly discussing the conclusion of this little mini-series. Human factors do happen, and it's something that we should always take into consideration in healthcare. We shouldn't assume sinister motives behind mistakes but we should always try to learn from the mistakes made. This is what I tried to discuss in my opinion for the Lucy Letby case, though I do feel my emotions regarding the case impeded my ability to verbalise my opinion in the way that I'd have preferred to. I do feel, to some extent, that Cullen is mentally unwell. What drives all of those we've covered in the Angels of Death miniseries probably to some degree boiled down to severe mental health issues. However, that does not and shall never excuse what they have done. They stole people's lives and to me that is unforgivable. My heart goes out to each and every one of the victims' families, but in this case I'm especially heartbroken for Amy. Cullen was her friend, her confidant, and I think to some degree he was even loved as part of the family and the amount of betrayal and hurt she must have felt I could not imagine in my wild in my worst nightmares she was she has talked about her guilt for missing her friendship with Colin and in all honesty I don't think she should feel guilty for missing it yes he turned out to be a monster but, how was she to know that when she developed the friendship and bond they shared? She wasn't, and to miss that friendship and that bond, in my opinion, is completely and utterly understandable. If I were her, I would miss it too. Like, for instance, if it turned out that Turtle was some monstrous murder, like, rampaging serial killer on the loose, and I ended up in Amy's shoes. I would miss 
I would grieve the friendship that I would lose with Turtle. Nah, you still have mental Turtle telling you to book up. <laughs> also, for legal reasons, I'm not a mac ram raging serial killer. It's my specialist topic, but not that. <laughs> I'm just saying that if you turn... If you turned out to be a raging serial killer and I ended up in Amy's shoes, you know, gathering evidence against you and stuff to get you arrested by the police like she did with Cullen, once you'd gone to prison, I I would fully grieve our friendship. It'd be like I'd just lost a parent for me. That would be what it's like for me. So yes, I understand that she would miss it. And I think that she shouldn't feel guilty for missing it because at the end of the day he meant something to her he meant a lot to her and when she came to realise what was going on she did yeah she should right take solace well. in that How was she to know that he was a monster? How was she to know that he was killing people? She wasn't. So she shouldn't feel guilty for that. The Cullen that she knew was not the monster. It's almost like a... Oh, what is it? A Jekyll and Hyde situation? Yeah, the the Cullen that she knew was the one who was willing to bend the rules, not completely ignore the rules. Ignore the rules, I think, is a bit of an understatement. He destroyed the rules with a jackhammer. Yeah, you know, he 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 broke his oath. He's no breaker. Um, but again, rationalization could take play in her in him getting her the meds because it's okay to take the meds because. She needs them. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. If you liked this episode, please give us a like, comment and subscribe. If you're joining us on YouTube and if you're joining us on another platform, give us a rating and a follow. It all helps with boosting us in the algorithm. And we appreciate every bit of support we get from all of you. Please don't forget to join us on our other social media platforms such as Facebook, TikTok, Instagram and Threads. We hope to see you again next week. Bye. Bye.